The following is a presentation of the Center for Dermatology, Cosmetic, and Laser Surgery in Mount Kisco. Recapture your youthful look with Dr. David Bank. Visit thecenterforderm.com. You'll be happy you did. Welcome to the Health and Happiness Show with Casey. This is a weekly presentation with guests, ideas, information, and fun designed to improve your life from 100.7 WHUD. Hi, it's Casey. Today, we shine on by taking a good look at life in America and by learning how to help those we love deal with grief. That's coming up. But first, let's get together for lunch. On Saturday, July 16th, I'm speaking at a great event called Nourishing Your Celestial Chakras. It takes place in Croton. At this event, I'll show you just where your chakras are and how to connect with them. Then, spiritual astrologer Demetra Vasiliadis will teach us how each chakra reflects the power and energy of a planet. Then finally, we'll have a great lunch when Susan Chasen of the Organic Teaching Kitchen creates a colorful salad using all the colors of the chakras. Join us for lunch in Croton Saturday, July 16th. Get details at theorganicteachingkitchen.com. And there's another event I want to share with you coming up this week, a heritage pageant for girls of Italian-American descent. It's called Miss Italia Mount Carmel. Winners can go on to compete in a New York scholarship pageant. My local pageant happens Wednesday night, July 13th, at the 94th Annual Feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel in Verplank. Now, I started this heritage pageant last year because my grandfather and a handful of men from a small town in Calabria, Italy, created this local chapter of the Society of Our Lady of Mount Carmel 94 years ago. The street fair we have each year is reminiscent of the one my grandfather and his friends grew up with. Now, to move their vision towards Centoani 100 years, I thought we needed to invite young people to celebrate their heritage. So if you know a young lady of Italian-American descent who would like to be in this free, fun heritage pageant, you can get all the information at OLMCV, as in Our Lady, Mount Carmel, Verplank, OLMCV.org. Now, in the light of the tragedies that our nation has suffered recently, we ask for all hearts to remember that we are one family. We are one American family. American Tumbleweeds is the story of one such family. Author Marta Elva and her husband Michael will be back in the Hudson Valley they once called home soon to talk about her book. Like many of us, our ancestors came from other countries, some far, some near. Marta grew up on the border of Mexico, where her novel takes place. And this is not the first time Marta has faced the idea of having that border closed. I was about 10 or 11. It was really the first time that I recall the national borders being blocked. As a child, you really can't process these things. So you're not sure what's going on. You're frightened for a lot of reasons. And then all of a sudden, when you hear that, because you're so used to that part of the of the of our country where we were just so used to crossing that border i mean it was you know no problems at all mm. just go back and forth every day visit the relatives come back and and so when when i heard about that i just thought i'm never going to see my my grandmother mm. you know i'm never going to see my grandmother again because I didn't, I didn't understand as a child how long they were going to close that border for. To me, it was an, you know, it was going to be forever. Right, right. So you uh, were born in Mexico but grew up in Texas. Correct. 
And you would go back and forth across the border like, you know, we would go to Danbury, Connecticut here exactly. in the Hudson Valley. That's right. I mean, yeah, I mean, there was an, you know, you, you cross an international border. Back then, you, if you really just stated your citizenship, you had to have your documentation in case they asked. But overall, it was... It was very easy to cross the border. How did you feel as a kid? Did you feel more American or did you feel more Mexican? Oh, more American, definitely. Writing this novel, I realized that I had never felt like an immigrant because of the fact that I was on that border. I was able to just have literally one foot in the United States and one in Mexico. And so you never felt, well, at least I never felt like an immigrant. And I always felt American in the sense that that's where my mindset was being developed. You know, the one thing that I found confusing when I was growing up was how my family always spoke about only Caucasians as being Americanos, as they call them, mm-hmm. you know. And to this day, my mother and I have this discussion because, yes, she's correct. And, you know, my blood and genes are Mexican, but my heart and mindset are American. Therefore, my soul is Mexican-American. Right. And there is no way of separating that. So you saw yourself as a young American kid growing up, but it was your grandma who was Mexican across the border. Exactly. And, you know, the interesting thing about that border is that... Um, like Juarez, you know, El Paso and Juarez, it, it almost melted into one one part of the country that, that was so different from either Mexico or the United States in the sense that you did have both cultures influencing each other right. at that point. And so it wasn't until I moved out of Texas and realized that it wasn't the rest of the country right. wasn't like that. No and the place same, else the like same, it. Exactly. And the same in Mexico. You know, um, I remember the first time Michael went down there and my brother asked him, have you been to Mexico? And Michael said, yeah, I went, you know, I went to Juarez. And, and my brother said, well, that's not Mexico. <laughs> because it's, it's, it is. They're so influenced by each other that it right. kind of melts that the cultures. That they're an in-between world of them of, of itself. Exactly. Marta Elva is our guest. American Tumbleweeds is her book. And we're going to jump into that. It's such an interesting topic because it's so timely right now when people talk about building a wall. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that? The fact that I grew up there, the proposal of building a wall along the United States and Mexico just brought back a lot of memories. The first time I heard it, which was probably around 1999, that's when rumbling started. The first time I heard rumblings of actually building a wall. And the notion of a wall puzzles me since Ronald Reagan traveled to Europe in 1987 and demanded that Gorbachev tear down the Berlin Wall. Now, it to me, clearly, Reagan must have understood the psychological and financial impact of, the wall, of a wall. And even before it became an election issue, immigration was always a major divisive point. It has been a divisive point in American politics. Yeah. I, I understand that, granted, life on the border today is much different than in 1967, which is when my story takes place. But what hasn't changed are the ancestral ties that bind human beings together. Right. And we must remember that Mexicans who inhibit both sides of the southern border are native to parts of America. 
and like indigenous flora, our roots run deep because they have been planted there for centuries. I mean, of course you can do it, but both sides of the border, in my opinion, would end up losing a lot. It would just be a, a great loss. And I feel that there are better ways to deal with that situation. You know, it's time, it's time for the, the United States and the Mexican governments to conduct a serious conversation about immigration as well as drugs. You know, right. they're both connected in a way. And I just feel like Mexico needs to take care of its residents and stop endangering their lives by forcing them out of their country. The United States needs to stop the import of illegal drugs and illegal immigration. We need to enforce our current rules and regulations instead of building walls that already have tunnels under them. Marta Elva, the guest, American Tumbleweeds is the book. Tell us about the young people in this book. Are Is this autobiographical or purely fictional or is it somewhere in the middle it's pretty much in the middle i mean you know in my opinion all writing is cathartic it's impossible for me to write without adding elements of my life into any of my writing because our personal struggles that's what draw that draws out emotions that are perfect for the fodder for character building in any story so um, American Tumbleweeds is fiction. However, I do draw heavily from family history and personal experience. The young people, a lot of it is from my personal experience. They are fiction in the sense that I created a lot of the, the world. But, you know, what happens when you're writing is you remember certain aspects of people in your life. And so you, you kind of infuse your characters with little bits about them. But some of the incidents are based on fact. Gotcha. They are based on fact. Every chapter is a name. Can you mention some of the names for us? Ines is the 13-year-old protagonist. There are family members. Uh, Ramon is her father. Catalina is her mother. Amalia is her abuelita, which is grandmother. And then there are other characters in Ines's world, which are Mona, who is kind of a bully girl. And then her friends, because what I really was also trying to do, accomplish with this writing, with this book, was to take a look at uh, the consequences of adult decisions on children. Basically, what I discovered is that no matter how hard parents try, they, there's always mistakes made. They don't even foresee them. They, they can't anticipate what one move is going to affect their world. Even when they make that decision with the best of intentions. Exactly, exactly. Marta Elva, the guest, American Tumbleweeds, is her book. Did you experience much um, prejudice as a child or as an adult, for that matter? Uh, yes, I did. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I've, I've had people ask me, you know, it's how do you feel about things not changing, you know, our society not changing. And I have to say, we've made tremendous change. I mean, we have made progress that, for my mother's generation, was unthinkable. Such as? The fact that we are allowed more opportunities. We are still uh, minorities. We still have a lot of obstacles. However, we are also able to take the uh, benefit of the opportunities that have been given to us by education, 
and employment that at one time was you could not enter into certain professions but even to the to the restroom you know which is now what the lgbt community is is dealing with right so we continue to move forward however the one thing that i find is that race is really the last that last frontier that we are still kind of struggling with even though we are binded by so much we are still different in the sense of how we observe different aspects of culture you know our own culture and we we need to be proud of our own culture as well without having to step on somebody else american tumbleweeds is the new novel by author marta elva meet her at the desmond fish library in garrison thursday july 21st and at inquiring minds in Socrates, july 23rd This is the Health and Happiness Show with Casey on 100.7 WHUD. If you have a question or need more information about things you've heard on the show, email kcradio at gmail.com. The Health and Happiness Show. Information, fun, and inspiration. Ladies, you know how good it feels to catch a glimpse of your own reflection and smile back at it. Dr. David Bank at the Center for Dermatology, Cosmetic, and Laser Surgery in Mount Kisco can help refresh your reflection naturally. Long-lasting Thermage uses radio frequency to strengthen your skin. Thermage can help you regain a youthful contouring of your cheekbones and jaw. It works great on stretch marks and on your legs and around your knees, too. A Fraxel laser treatment pinpoints sunspots, scars, and wrinkles and stimulates your own natural collagen. Fraxel can help change damaged skin into glowing, healthy skin. Ladies, in less time than a yoga class or a mani-pedi, you can renew and rejuvenate your skin and smile back at your reflection. Take the first step today. Call Dr. David Bank at the Center for Dermatology in Mount Kisco. Here's the number, 914-241-3003. And visit thecenterforderm.com. You'll be happy you did. Hi, I'm Queen Latifah. Even with heart failure, my mother remains strong. Because without strength, you lose hope. Together, we will rise above heart failure. To help prevent, improve, or manage heart failure, go to riseabovehf.org. Hi, it's Casey, and today we shine on by learning how to help people through their grief. Learning what healthy mourning looks like. Karen Morrison-Dreyer is the bereavement coordinator at Hospice of Westchester. Her call to help people came at a much-needed time. The amazing thing is I became a bereavement counselor on September 10th, 2001, one day before 9-11 happened. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, quite amazing. So I always think, oh, I got put here for a reason. Um, And that's when my career in bereavement started. I work with the families after the death has occurred. We do have a separate children's program here. Otherwise, adults of all ages, all genders, sometimes people after that one-year anniversary, sometimes they'll actually go downhill for a little bit. But, you know, if you don't bounce back after that, you know, there may be some other things going on and you may um, be suffering from complications grief. But again, I really want to stress it's different for different people. Complicated grief. What is that? Complicated grief is when um, a person gets stuck in the grief process, that something is going on internally for them that's not allowing them to move on. And there is a specific treatment for that kind of grief. My colleague, uh, Kim Gordon, offers that here. 
Um, so it's when people, they, they realize, usually they realize, I'm stuck for some reason. You know, it's been over a year, it's been two years or even more, and people realize that they're not moving forward. Yeah, so then more counseling is in order? Yeah, and like I said, it's a specific, the one we give here, we give a specific treatment for complicated grief, yes. Gosh, it takes a very special person to help people through their grief, and I don't think we talk enough about grief. It seems to be something that we kind of hide away, don't you think? Absolutely. That is so true. In our society, people don't think of death as part of life. I mean, there's other kind of cultures that do think of it as part of life, but in our culture, it's as if you're not supposed to talk about it, which is one of the reasons I think people do seek professional help. Because they're really, you, you have to keep the cheery disposition at work or keep your chin up for the family, and you're not moving forward with your grief if you're stuffing it down. Is that right? Exactly. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. That's part of what can keep a person stuck. They're not processing it. They're not, you know, talking it through, allowing themselves to feel it. What can we do? We average person listening to the radio today or the podcast today, what can we do to help people who are grieving? What should we do? What should we say? What should we not say? Okay, that's a good question. The first thing I would say is don't say a lot. (laughs) For instance, a typical thing people say that they think is helping somebody is, oh, he's in a better place now. When people are grieving, they might even believe that, but that really doesn't help because what you're doing when you say something like that is you're not validating the person's feelings and you're kind of almost taking away their feelings. It's as if they're uncomfortable with you feeling sad. So they're going to remind you why you shouldn't be sad. So uh, the best thing to do is really to, to just listen, to give a person a hug, to let them know you understand how they feel, if you legitimately do, or Um, Just if if somebody shares something with you, just to validate that person's feelings by saying, that sounds really hard, I can imagine what that's like. Um, But trying to take away the person's pain, which again, I think, I don't know if it's human nature or it's human nature in our culture, (laughs) to try to take away somebody's pain, that's not really what the grieving person needs. They need somebody who's willing to sit there with them with their pain. So what does that sound like? We sort of mirror back what they say? Yes, that's a good thing to do. Yes. Or like I said, sometimes don't say anything, depending on the circumstances. Put your hand on the person's hand. Give them a hug. You know, sometimes your support doesn't have to be conveyed with words. Yeah. And everybody deals with grief differently. Yes. That's true, even within a family. We're talking to Karen Morris Dreyer, by the way, a bereavement coordinator with Hospice of Westchester. Have you noticed this, that when there is a death, people tend to lose their mind? Oh, okay. Family dynamics. Well, yeah. I think if there's any, you know, tension beforehand or there's a difficult kind of family dynamic before death takes place, that's going to just rev it up. The number one thing um, I look for when I first meet a person is to see if they have resiliency. To me, resiliency is the number one personality trait that helps people get through grieving. You know, have they bounced back from any kind of tragedy before? Maybe it might not be as as devastating as this, but we try to reinforce that in people to remind them that they have this resiliency. So that's a very important trait. Um, Other traits are self-confidence. For instance, a um, woman 
who loses her spouse and maybe has never lived on her own before, if she feels self-confident on her own or learns to feel self-confident, she's going to get through the grieving process better. Also, a healthy outlook on life. So somebody who thinks, who says to themselves, I know this is part of life and bad things happen to good people, versus somebody who says, oh, why me? Why me? Why me people have a harder time getting through the grieving process? Ability to have healthy attachments in life. If people have other attachments in their life, other people that they love, they don't quite, you know, feel, you know, they have comfort there. They don't quite feel that um, aloneness. People feel alone, don't get me wrong, but it's good if people have the ability to feel they're attached to other people. One thing I think really helps, and I'll even tell you a story on this one because I tell people this about this um, client all the time. Sense of humor really helps, and I, I always admire people who come in here who are absolutely in tears, they're so bereft, and still they find a moment of humor. And I had um, a client a few years back who lost her husband, and she really was extremely bereft. But she started to talk to me about the afterlife, and she said, you know, sometimes I wonder if people are reincarnated, and sometimes I'll see a baby, and I want to go over to the baby and say, honey, is that you? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so sweet. (laughs) And I just, I, you know, I always remember that story, because nobody could have been in more emotional pain than that woman, really, but she still had that sense of humor, and I think it helped her so much. So if we know of someone that's alone in their grief and needs help, we can call you and you can guide us towards helping them? Absolutely. Absolutely. We always meet with people. Even if somebody wants to join a group and isn't interested in individual counseling, we meet with somebody one-on-one at least once to get um, a sense of where they are in their grief and what's happening in their life, what has happened in their life, so we can figure out the best way to help them. Actually, research shows that people that do come and get professional help um, seem to move through the grief process more quickly. And the answer is simply that they are actively processing their grief. Not everybody needs professional help, don't get me wrong. We don't think you know every single person who's had a loss needs to come see us. But I think people should keep in mind, if they're feeling stuck after a few months, they should know that sometimes either a, a bereavement group or individual counseling, or I should say and or, doesn't have to be one or the other, right. can really make a difference and help an individual process their grief. We probably can't see their pain, but what are some of the things they're going through? What are some of the traits of someone grieving? Is there like loss of appetite or insomnia? Uh, yes to both, but again, not for everybody, but those can be symptoms. The interesting thing is sometimes I see somebody who tells me they're sleeping more because they're depressed or they're eating more because that's how they respond to stress. But then you can see the opposite where people just don't want to eat and they're having a terrible time sleeping. Also, isolation. If somebody never wants to go out and do anything, if they're just staying at home. Now, that's very normal in the beginning. So I can't stress that enough. Some of the things I'm going to say here are very normal in the beginning. It's after a few months. If there isn't starting to be a little bit of a shift, if people aren't taking care of themselves, they're not eating well, or if they're just unable to function, that's definitely something. If they're not just doing, you know, the daily things that they usually do to take care of themselves, or they're crying almost all the time, that might be a time that they might want to seek professional help. So be gentle and very patient with anyone who's grieving. Yes, definitely. 
One thing I do want to add, what healthy grieving looks like, because, again, I think people think, oh, she's crying all the time. That isn't healthy grieving. And it's really quite the opposite. If somebody is crying, but also having some balance in their life where they're also getting out a little bit, allowing themselves some pleasantries, some joy, distractions, that's really what healthy grieving looks like. It's a person who maybe comes home at night and cries their eyes out for 15 minutes, but then, you know, the next day they're out and about and living their life. It's a balance. It's all about balance. And that's what we try to get people to strive for as they're going through the grieving process, having that balance. If you need help finding that balance, call Karen Morrison-Dreyer at Hospice of Westchester and find out about all the programs they offer there. Visit hospiceofwestchester.com. Wishing you a peaceful week. You've been listening to The Health and Happiness Show with Casey. The content of The Health and Happiness Show is intended for general information purposes only. The Health and Happiness Show is a presentation of the Center for Dermatology, Cosmetic, and Laser Surgery in Mount Kisco. Recapture your youthful look with Dr. David Bank. Visit thecenterforderm.com. You'll be happy you did. You can listen to previously broadcast shows online at kcradio.com. And join Casey for another edition of The Health and Happiness Show next Sunday morning on 100.7 WHUD.